you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists, like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Rams in a deep cover two. Breeze takes the snap, sacked by Chris Long, number three on the afternoon for number 91. David, football, football David. The Dave Damashek Football Program, available on Apple Podcasts and at NFL.com slash DDFP. Now here's your host, Dave Damashek. He sagged all the greats of the 21st century, and now he sits right over my left shoulder here in Studio 66. Very excited to be talking with him. He's also the host of his own podcast and an emerging sports media star, nay, just media star, because he can talk about all of it. He truly is. If the 21st century has a renaissance, man, it is the two-time world champion and the guy whose uh, tattoos I'm looking at, too, and I'm envious of those. It's Chris yeah. Long. What's happening, fella? What up, man? Yeah, hey. Well, it's never too late for a sleeve, Dave. Do you think? I don't know. I, I feel like it's one of those things like some guys you see walking around. Did you see Lamar Jackson's uh, draft night suit? It was a dark green suit. And I remember saying to him that night, like, if I wore that, people would point and laugh. But you look cool. If I had a sleeve, you'd laugh. No, because here's the thing about tattoos and sleeves is for the most part, if you do it correctly, nobody's going to, I think nobody's going to laugh at you. If you think you're an older guy that, you know, that might be like, oh, people would not imagine that I have a sleeve tattoo when it's revealed. There's always that, whoa, this guy, like he, he used to be an assassin or something or like what he hmm. used to do for a living. This guy's was, I had no idea. Or he's the cool older guy with a tattoo. So I always say that it's never too late as long as you get it right. Oh, that's interesting. I, I, I see. It seems as though you're insinuating I'm an old guy, but either way, maybe I'll get. I think your I think your point is that anybody who's over 40, presumably you're over 40, right? You might I don't be 39. Know. I don't remember. But anyway, be, yeah. But if you're if you're if you're 41, uh, you, you might say, well, I'm 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 older than 40. Why start now? I you know, and for me, sometimes I think that I'm like, do I even want to finish my next sleeve? I'm 34. I'm just a suburban dad now. I don't get to go out on the field with cool art. 
you know, it's never too late because, you know, you can be the cool older dude, you know, 40 year old dude or a dude who's like a businessman. That's the coolest part when you wear suits your whole life. And then like you meet somebody out of the office and they're like, oh, God, that guy's got like a, mm-hmm. an ace dragon tattoo. Like that guy's cool. You know, I think differently of my boss or like my coworker. There's just, there's, there's avenues for you. Well, you know, um, to pick up kind of where we left off when I was on your podcast, everybody dig it up, make sure you track down the, uh, the great Chris Long. His latest is with his old pal from the Philadelphia Eagles, Lane Johnson, among some of the things they talk about is, uh, is it fun to be a Patriot? Is it fun to be an Eagle? (laughs) All that stuff. That's, uh, that's good stuff. But, um, I decreed two years ago that in this world where everything else gets traded off and titles get handed off and Spider-Man gets remade every four months. Why does, why do the Cowboys forever get to be America's team? A couple of years ago, inspired in part by you putting your arm around Malcolm Jenkins as he raised his fist. Um, I declared that the Eagles were America's team and was pleased. Declaration. And, yeah, it was awesome. And um, yeah, it, and it really answered all the uh, naysayers who said that is going to destroy teams and uh, that kind of yeah. stuff. And and obviously you disproved all that. I talked to Malcolm Jenkins, though, a few months before you guys won that Super Bowl. And I love that he has a, uh, a, a Lombardi tattoo on his forearm. Now, he's a married. He does have that, doesn't yeah. he? Maybe you should get one of those because he's married. And I said, but you did that for like blind dates and stuff like, oh, this old thing. Yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know if having a, a Super Bowl tattooed on your arm is going to get you more dates or the dates that you want. Hmm. Like, I don't know if you go speed dating and, you know, the girl that's like, oh, that guy's got a Lombardi trophy on his arm is the type that, you know, that that you want to settle down with. But you know, for Malcolm as a married man who, uh, who, who obviously that's a big part of his life that works. I'm not a big football tattoo guy. I probably won't ever get anything that directly has anything to do with football. It's usually going to be something that's, that's, uh, that's not easily identifiable as a football tattoo. So you're not getting a tattoo in the next few days that declares who's going to win the Super Bowl. Those people who do that, like how impatient can you be? Why would you get something that is permanent like that? That is still fluid. Why not just wait a week and then get it? I think nowadays, if you wait a week and then get it and you don't go viral and the mm. type of people that get uh, football scores tattooed on them before uh, uh, the big game even happens are the type of people. Again, it's selective. It's self-selective that uh, that that probably don't care um, and want to go viral. So mm. but I did. I do have this. I have this wolf tattoo on my arm. You probably it's, it says high motor. So that's my only football. Tattoo. <laughs> You're one of those high motor guys, huh? This is, of course, a nod to the uh, the backhanded compliment I often got during my career. I know. You know, it's funny. I talked to Eric Weddle about that, and he got mad at me. And I'm like, I'm not saying that that's what you are. I'm saying you're a talented star and have been at several NFL stops. And for some reason, he was cross with me. Why? Because I'm smart? Because I work hard? I'm like, yeah, I, that's those aren't indictments of you either to say that you're either of those things. You're also talented. As you can tell, I mean, like, I don't really care. So I put it on my arm. It's almost like a a kind of a a joke, Uh, you know, so I never took it that seriously. I've heard a lot worse than than, hey, you 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 tend to hustle really hard. Like, which I do. <laughs> That's like, right. Yeah. Like, it's, it's a compliment. That's, in a way, though, you got an ironic tattoo that'll be with you for the rest of your days. I like that yeah, uh, that move. Do you think, were you, and then we'll get into some uh, some football talk uniforms and uh, a bunch of things that we have to kibitz about here. But um, one thing I, that um, I remember Nate Newton 
when he was still on the Dallas Cowboys. He said when he was kind of heavy set, and then he uh, he was being interviewed, and he said, "When I retire, I'm going to get really fat." Was that, mm-hmm. is that like a fantasy that you had? But then when you come out on the other side, you say, "Well, I'm only in my mid 30s. Am I really going to become a slob for the rest of my days?" I don't know why anybody would. Now, li- listen, I'm not, you know, body shaming anybody. We're, we're all built in different ways and sizes and shapes. And Thank you. I've got buddies who are who are heavy set that I played with uh, that will probably stay heavy set. I've got buddies who are just big men mm-hmm. that'll stay big men. Like, I can't imagine Bo Allen not being, if you know Bo Allen, not being this big, burly dude who's really not fat. He mm-hmm. just happens to be 330. He's big bone. Um, me, I've always had trouble keeping weight on. So, um, especially as I got older, after I got like hurt those two years in St. Louis, it was like, I couldn't bulk fast enough to get back on the horse. I kind of had to just change my body. I'm 250 now. People call me skinny and all that, but I'm 250. So I'm kind of happy where I'm at. I love working out. I love cardio. Like that was something I actually loved too much in my career. Um, it, it sets my mind in the right place. So I don't think I'll ever get big. Plus I couldn't imagine like wanting to feel like my blood pressure's higher. You know, then I can't drink, you mm-hmm. know, it probably affects if you have a cocktail, you start feeling like, uh, your, 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 your blood vessels are starting to burst and like, yeah, I'm, I'm not into that. So I, I'm cool with being 250, looking lean. I don't care if people make fun of my neck looking skinnier than it did when I played. I'm good. I feel good. You know, there's no sleep apnea in my future. I'm, I'm happy. 250 yeah and, and uh that's without trying to pack on weight yeah that's a big dude by almost any measure yeah, yeah i mean my dad looks like you know people look at my dad they're like dude howie long doesn't lift anymore like if you saw him in a t-shirt you'd be like where's his his muscle does he you know he's lost a lot of money he's still 255 mm-hmm. just his bones weigh 255 and, you know, I'm not quite as big boned as my dad, but I'll always be over 240. I don't think I'll get down under that. Well, your old man is a handsome devil to this day. And in fact, a couple sure. of years ago, um, just after you guys knocked off Tom Brady and company, I was down on the field. It was one of the great uh, things I've gotten to do in the last decade working at the NFL. And I remember amidst all the hubbub and all the, the craziness going down, uh, going on down there. I looked to my immediate right, and there was your old man holding your newborn little baby, maybe one year old, yeah. and yeah. he was blowing in his ear, and there, and there were dozens, hundreds of cameras and everybody shooting it, and it was the coolest, yeah. uh, most intimate family kind of thing to check out down there, which brings me to Howie Long, and we talked about it before. We got to re- do a remake of Broken Arrow. But I want oh, you I to be your old man. No, I agree. And we said this on my pod. Yeah. Like, I would totally sign up for the movie if I could kick Christian Slater's son. That's what we'll do. Out of out of a train, out of a moving train into a gorge, because that's, of course, what happened to my dad. And that was traumatic. Watching my dad get kicked in the chest and fall hundreds of feet into a gorge. I mean, it's weird seeing your dad perish on on uh, on the silver screen, especially at the hands of a, of, of a finesse actor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> A finesse actor. I've never heard anyone yeah. described that way. Well, he, he he sure wasn't. I mean, in real life, who would believe my dad was going to get a, uh, you know, drop kicked by, by Slater. I think Slater might've been wearing the, the Tom Cruise boots that elevate you yeah. a little bit and make you taller, you know? Yeah. So if I can kick uh, Christian's son out, I'm down. If the money's right, uh, let's do it. Wonder why defend now that all of a sudden I'm thinking about it. Wonder why defensive linemen from pro football are the ones who make it into movies more than any other position. If you consider John Matuzak was in Caveman, yeah. um, Mark Gastineau, no, well Joe Klecko was in Cannonball Run. 
Yeah. Um, you know, Bradshaw was in that too, but he's a QB, but he's the anomaly. Your old man, Brian Bosworth, uh, a front seven guy. Because we have personalities, Dave, uh. and they always used to say this about D-line rooms is we're all crazy and in a good way. Like, hmm. you know, some of us not in such a good way, but you got to be a little bit crazy to play D-line in the NFL. And some of the rooms I've been in had the best personalities because we have enough skill that we have, you know, the, the flair to go with it but we have the every man thing going too. Cause until recently they didn't really care about pass rushers. Uh, you know, you, now you could be your Von Miller or your Khalil Mack and you're like a rock star. But back in the day, I don't think it was necessarily like that. I could be wrong. Uh, so we have a little bit of everything and we have big personalities. Well, uh, let's transition then that, uh, le- uh, leads neatly into, into this question. It, um, I've noticed that in the history of football, so we're now 53 or 53 Super Bowls in, 53 yeah. Super Bowls worth of evidence. If you look at it, when a defense is ranked in the top two and an mm-hmm. offense that they're playing against is ranked in the top two, either in scoring or in total defense, um, that throughout history, and this spans the generation, so you can't uh, ascribe it away to, um, well, that was a different era. That's this particular era. This goes through every decade that the defense always wins. Recent, Most recently, you, uh, your Patriots, the number one defense, took down the number one offense, the Atlanta Falcons. Go all the way back to Super Bowl one. Number one defense, Packers, takes down the number one offense, Chiefs. Chiefs over Vikings in four. In 13, Steelers over Cowboys. These are the matchups throughout. Giants right. over uh, K-Gun in 25. Bucks over Raiders. And so it goes. The only anomaly to that is Joe Montana whipping the Broncos in NOLA. Um, whatever that was about 1990 ish, um, 55, 10. Why does it track that it's across the board, given that one, with, with, with that one exception um, aside, why does the defense always win the Super Bowl against a high end offense? And does that well, mean look, then that uh, the Niners are going to take down the Chiefs? Well, I, th- I think what it means is that we've just jinxed the Niners. Yeah, <laughs> um, right. But I I went back and looked and I didn't do it, you know, under the uh, assumption that I was pulling one and two D I eyeballed it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I certainly remember we had now one outlier to me that jumped off um, initially, but you could tell me if maybe I'm mischaracterizing that defense for the Seahawks when they beat the Patriots, that was still whether or not they were ranked in the top two to me, a historically good defense because you did it last year against the Broncos. I mean, that was the Denver was one of the top number offenses. one against number one. There's another example, but then, but then there's things, there's things in there that you're like, and I hate to make excuses, but like when the bucks beat the Raiders, you know, who's the quarterback of the Raiders. I mean, he's not a world beater. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when, when Peyton goes to play outside in New York, he just happens to, I mean, I think they lose that game anyways, but there's some things that pop up that are anomalies. You got Patriots Hawks. Uh, you know, I, I, I had, um, you know, I had the Pats over the Rams years ago. I thought that that was like an ego thing. The Rams trying to trying to get style points and not just win the game. If you talk to people that 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 uh, were around that at the time, is that right? Had, uh, I've not I've not heard that kind of buzz. I just thought yeah. that Belichick and Flores figured out what the Rams wanted to do and had done oh, all no, season. I, I'm talking I'm talking about the uh, the 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 greatest show on turf. The beginning. Oh oh oh! I'm Pats sorry. Dynasty. Right? Yeah. Beginning of the Pats dynasty. Um, and then of course the Pats then get, get patriated themselves by the giants multiple times in those defenses, uh, you know, and, and then I, I think when I looked at it, I see the it's, it's undeniable. It is a, it's a pattern. Um, I looked at 
okay, number one, the offensive mindset, which which popped up in a few of these am- examples we talked about, the style points mentality. I think that no matter what, if you're an offensive guy, you're more of a style points guy. If you're a coordinator, a head coach who's offensively inclined, whether you want to admit it or not, and you could point to the Pats, uh, the Pats Falcons. I don't know that they were the top offense in the league or whatever, but we were the top defense. Now we were the top defense, and I I, I don't think we were the best defense, but I think what we did is we kept the points down the best. And, That's and right. There, there's something to be said for that. I mean, some people laugh and be like, well, that's what the top defense is. But I, I, I think, uh, I think that was a style points example. Everybody knows Shanahan should have run the ball. Um, and I think he's learned from that. Ironically, I think he's going to be the other way. All he's done is run the ball in these playoffs. He's like, mm-hmm. well, we don't even need to put the ball back in Jimmy G's hands. I think style points, the offensive mind mindset. Um, I think, you know, we mentioned the Rams as well. There, nerves favor defense as well. I think hmm. that when you have two weeks to wait for a game, you know, and you've been practicing and practicing and executing. Um, think about it. One little mistake on offense that has to do with nerves can kill you. You know, uh, uh, the wrong route, uh, a tip ball, a drop that turns into a pick six, a fumble, a snap exchange, um, a handoff. There's so many junctures in an offensive play that can get you killed. And in defense, unless you're a safety or somebody over the top in coverage, we can at least knock it down and live to fight another day. But we know the statistics that when, when it comes to you make one big mistake in the form of a turnover offensively, you're not likely to win that game. Um, so if you lose a turnover batter battle, if you give up a, uh, you know, a pick six or fumble recovery for a touchdown, that's going to count against you in a big way. And then finally, I think uh, playbooks are smaller. Depending on the defense you're in, listen. When we got ready to play the, the the Patriots, and maybe this was the problem, we were we were a very good defense. We were top five defense in Philly. We had a really simple game plan. Of course, they racked up 500 yards, so it's kind of a uh, you know it's a non sequitur. But that's an example of getting ready for a Super Bowl. We just line up and 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 run the same stuff over and over again. The Patriots are sitting there. They got a hundred things to do, so their chances of of, uh, of failing in execution in any one play or out thinking themselves is higher. I think that, you know, it's the mindset of offensive coordinators. It's the nerves uh, favoring the defense and it's the volume of plays and game planning for defense versus offense. Fascinating. Yeah. And it, and you know, like I say, yeah, there are some little cracks in the, in my premise here, but for the most part, it it does bear out after 53 years. It's crazy. You're absolutely right. And you use the example of, uh, I think it was the Broncos defense um, when they got beat. Uh, what, what was it you texted me about? Which one was it? That was that when Montana and New Orleans, 50, uh-huh. Seifert's first year after taking over yep. for Walsh, 55-10, they housed that. But then again, talk about, uh, it's weird that that Broncos D was was good and Steve Atwater belongs in the Hall of Fame and so on. But um, that See, that's I a- It might've been a little overrated. What's that? The, the, the Broncos defense, my, that's my take. Ooh. Broncos yeah, they were overrated little- because he's still a Raiders guy. And he remembers watching when uh, when the number one offense in the history of pro football in the, at that time, led by MVP Theismann, met its yeah. match with with uh, Michael Haynes and Lester Hayes and uh, and Howie. Yeah, it blew him out. It was like a 30 point you know game 30, or what? 38 to yeah. nine. Um, so, yeah, I mean. I think your, your, your example, uh, your examples and the trend is totally legit. And it's not something you think about enough. It, you, you think each matchup could live individually, but it's a pattern that's undeniable. So 
no offense to your guy Foles, who uh, helped get you a ring, a second ring on that finger, um, and Joe Flacco, who had the improbable five-week run that he had. But talk about trends. That the- What's that? That was another one. San Francisco, I know they weren't like a top two defense maybe, but that defense was stacked. Yeah, to think that they were going to get beat by Flacco, I mean, that that surprised me looking back. And also that defense didn't play well in the playoffs. No, right. That was all about no. uh, cap, just uh, cap. constant. Uh, the MVP of that playoff run, Flacco uh, aside, was Vernon Davis. He just he just continually okay. destroyed defenses, just running up the seam, the the – all through January, basically. And then he, the, he, he kind of flipped things in that Super Bowl with a big play. It, it, it was one of those things, I think, and not as an aside too much, but there's enough people that are trying to minimize the, the Kaepernick role in that run that we've kind of made this San Francisco team to be, well, that was the engine. Like as if it was a, a Ravens, uh, you know, 2001 Super Bowl. Um, no, it was the engine for them to get there was the offense, mm-hmm. the defense not play up to snuff. But if you look at the names on that defense, they were unbelievable. Your point stands, uh, you know, it's, it's making me second guess my Kansas city pick for the super bowl. All right. Well, listen, here's the other side of it. The trend in the 21st century is the couple of exceptions that we just threw out there. The teams that have the hall of fame level quarterbacks tend to win the super bowl. And you can play cynic with that and say, well, when Russell got his, it was a defense dominant team. And when Roethlisberger got his in his sophomore year, same thing with that defense. But the fact remains that, and I know Brady skews these things, the Patriots skew things because of Tom Brady, but still Peyton, Rodgers, Breeze, Roethlisberger, Wilson, these are the guys that have won the vast majority of the Super Bowls. So if the Niners win this one, do we look back in 20 years and say, Wow, but that's one of those exceptions because they had Jimmy G or do a couple more <laughs> decades worth of evidence make us look back and say, well, yeah, Jimmy G's a Hall of Famer. Which is Jimmy G going to wind up in 15, 20 years? I think it's okay to at some point, you know, settle on the fact that Jimmy G's not a Hall of Famer, probably unless he reels off multiple Super Bowls. Uh, you know, and by the way, the whole Eli thing, which we can get to is, you know, Super Bowls get you in the thing. And you know, not only does Eli have some really good numbers, and I think part of this is the, you know, the uh, the perception that, hey, as soon as he came in a league, I'm not going to like him because he's not Peyton. Well, who cares? He's still a really good player. Shows up in crunch time. Jimmy G, I think, will look back, and as long as Shanahan can keep this train rolling from a scheme standpoint, um, he will be looked back at as a good quarterback with great stuff around him. Not a Trent Dilfer. He's better than a Trent Dilfer, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, and that's not to disparage Trent because you're a champion and you had to win a Super Bowl. I don't care who was the defense, um, but he can be somewhere in the middle. And I think that's where he's going to end up being. Uh, but Shanahan, I mean, everybody with the Mostert thing, uh, you know, every you know, you look on Twitter during that game, every fan of a team that had him the consecutive six stops he was at are like, this shows you how crappy we are as an organization. No, it doesn't. It shows you how great Shanahan and his scheme uh, really is because uh, he's running through holes that you could drive a truck through. So hats off to guys like Mostert, but this is a really scheme driven offense. And it's okay to say that uh, Jimmy's a good player. He's not the reason they necessarily win all the time, but I think we'll look back and that'll be the legacy. Interesting. And now let's do a little something. Obviously, you know, Jimmy G. And by the way, we've talked about it before, and I'm not ashamed to say it out loud. 
I think your Super Bowl winning Patriots team might be the most handsome Super Bowl championship team ever. You had on that like team, that. you had like Amendola and Edelman, who who mm-hmm. the ladies seemed to like Brady for and Garoppolo. People, for the people that like little people, you got Amendola and Jules. If you like, right? You know, if you like manageably uh, sized dudes that are you know skateboard types, uh, then you had Brady, who's an Adonis, right? Right. Uh, if you're into the meat the meatball look, you had Gronk. <laughs> I don't know. If <laughs> you know, if you like plus sized, you had Vince Wilfork. You had all the bases covered, but the question is, do you think you're at the top of that mountain? No, not at no. all. For a certain demographic, I think I am. Okay. Like, if you don't wear deodorant and you 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 know you you wear Patagonia all day, I think you know I might be the most appealing to you. Uh, if you're like a, a, a hippie chick type thing. Hmm. Or uh, or if you or, or if maybe Tom's a little bit too clean cut for you, mm-hmm. uh, and you don't like shorter guys, maybe I fall into a category where 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 you like me the most. I don't know. I always say I'm a seven, uh, but I'm tall and I'm rich. Oh, don't be coy. You're not a seven, but I will say Brady. The thing when you're in Brady's company is he's statuesque. What you don't, what doesn't, what doesn't translate on TV is how tall he is. You know, he's a tall drink of water. He's a tall dude and and he's got style. And that's Mm. the thing. My problem is that weighs me down. Even if I were a seven and a half or an eight is I don't like dressing nice. Mm. Um, I'm just not going to do it. And until very recently, uh, I didn't, I didn't have any concept of what a haircut meant or like, uh, you know, when do I shave my beard? I'm going to start to work on all of these issues. Um, you know, I think I can clean up. All right. When it's something like I got to throw a suit on, but day to day, you should see what I wear around town. It's funny because I've been toying with the idea that it's now it, it's beards are ubiquitous now. And I think it's time for me to zig while society zags. I think it's time for me to lose the beard. I think I was a, a trailblazer and I think I need to go back to clean. Well, I, I disagree with that, and 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 as kind of a, a you know a, a relevant aside here, we we totally glossed over my man Rob Ninkovich. Okay. Who, who, you know, he said okay. All right. I mean, listen. I mean, how you know how far are we going to go with it? You know, he's he's what is he, he is he breaking the top five? I don't think so. No offense, Ninkovich. We, we'd have to pull some some uh, you know some some ladies or oh, something. Oh, you know, we forgot Goskowski. Goskowski, Jimmy G was on the team. It's crazy. It's really, it's, it's too much. Really crazy for Jimmy G. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, the, well, let's talk about Jimmy G. Here's the first question. I want to do some Super Bowl do's and don'ts from someone who is a veteran of the big game um, yeah. within the last 10 years, a couple of times over. First of all, let's start there. Jimmy G. Patrick Mahomes, I don't know that it's really a consideration for Mahomes given his facial hair situation, but is it smart if you're the quarterback and you're going to be seen by literally a billion human beings, including your foes looking across the line of scrimmage? On Super Sunday, clean shaven? Do you start the day with a good clean shave or do you let it go to be intimidating and rugged looking? Listen, I haven't shaved my face in like, a long time unless it was on accident. I took my beard down too close. So I'm not the one to ask, but I would say I kind of like Aaron Rodgers is kind of, uh, I've been living in a cabin mm-hmm. recording a, a Bonnie Vera album for a couple years now. And I just came out and I'm grumpy. I'm tired of this stuff, but I still want to win the super bowl. Like that edgy look. I mm-hmm. think that's, that's my look. I want my quarterback 
to look a little edgy. Now I understand the clean cut thing and we go back through all the Super Bowls, probably especially because beards weren't as in for the, those type of guys in the sixties, seventies, eighties, whatever it was. Uh, I think it'll be skewed towards Super Bowl winning quarterbacks being clean shaven, but I, I want a guy that's got some, uh, some ruggedness to him under, under the under center. Yeah. I, but you know what? Uh, historical note, I'm pretty sure Bradshaw had a beard in Super Bowl nine and snake stabler definitely at minimum had a Fu Manchu going in Super Bowl <laughs> 11. Either way, Jimmy G should just show up carrying an ax, you know, like oh, so, yeah. go yeah. over the top with it. You know, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Next yeah, question. Hey, Jimmy needs to take the B a couple more days. Just let grow it. Right. I know vanity is a big thing when you're that good looking, but just grow it a couple days. That's I, I, I think we park our cars in the same garage. Super Sunday. You wake up. What do you what, what do you think? Do you say, like, I want a nice breakfast or do you eat a lunch? Because both the Super Bowls you played in were in the central time zone. So you could have conceivably had a breakfast and a lunch. Or did you go to brunch? You know, how, how did you how did you handle your meals on Super Sunday? Super Sunday, I'm probably going to get two big solid meals. Any night game, my my strategy was wake up early but not too early, uh, grab a meal that's going to hold me over while I try to take a three-and-a-half-hour nap. How's that possible then, when you have the big game later in the same day? I can't imagine being like, well, I, I you know, I could uh, get a couple Zs in here real quick. Uh, there's ways. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's, there's ways to put your mind at ease when you're stressed out on Super Bowl Sunday. And I mm. need my nap because what I, what I can't do, Dave, is I cannot sit in the room all day long, uh, and stare at a TV that's, you know, or even like, look at film by this time, the hay is in the barn, man. Like I got nothing else I need to study. I might go downstairs and do a little bit more, uh, tape right before I go out of individual matchup and pass rush you know, some envisioning winning or whatever, but there's so much time during the day. Honestly, how, how I spent the Patriots day was exactly this way. I woke up, took, took a, you know, got, got a, got a big breakfast in me, then took a three hour nap, ate a big meal. Then it's time to get your ass going to the stadium. And me and Alan branch and a couple of guys, we stopped at Walgreens first, but the way Walgreens, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, what do you mean? There's not a team bus. You're like, yeah, we'll see you at the stadium coach. So we'll be the, we'll be there. Don't worry. We'll get we'll see you yeah. there. The thing that sucks about Super Bowl Sunday is you got to do so much ticket exchange, like in between all this stuff you try to do on your normal day. And when you're in your Super Bowl hotel, that's the most challenging nap you'll take now because it's kind of an effect where you're in a fishbowl. There's no way you don't feel the energy of the thousands of people that have descended upon not only your block but the city. Um, the lobby downstairs, you might not hear them, but I swear to God, you can feel it. Oh, it's exciting, you, yeah. yeah everything. And it's so funny to sit there and take a nap and, you know, pop on, like, you know, if you're binge watching a TV show for 30 minutes and, and fall asleep and you know, the, the world's about to end or be the best night of your life in about six, seven hours. It's the weirdest disconnect, but we went to Walgreens cause we wanted to get some, uh, some champagne for after the game, just in case <laughs> we won. So we bought the cheapest champagne. Obviously you could buy a Walgreens or whatever it was in Houston. Uh, and we, we stuff it in our bag. We had in our bag and we head to the stadium, but that's kind of the day you got. There's so much you got to balance. I much prefer, I don't like night games anyways, cause all that time. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's absolutely an S H I, you know, what T uh, show. 
And and that's what that day is. I can't imagine if you if anybody got a a photograph or a cell phone video of two members of the Eagles or Patriots getting champagne, like that yeah. would be the bulletin board material. Yeah, we already knew. We already knew. But it was just a just in case thing. I mean, like you exp- that's another funny thing is like when you do things that lead, you know, like when Joe Burrow says they got fitted for the ring beforehand, what's wrong with expecting to win? And if you don't need the ring, you know, use it on your wedding day. I like, yeah, it's not a big deal. And if, hey, guess what? That champagne, that cheap champagne is going to get drank whether we win or lose. So, like, Interesting point you make. Yeah, I always thought it was weird. Jermaine Curse told me he went to a movie before he played in his first Super Bowl. On Super Sunday, he's going out to the movies. He's getting the matinee in. That's crazy to me. The only thing that seems weird to me about that is being in the seated position and shortening your hip flexors for hours. Like I'm a freak about that stuff. Hmm. My body needs to be optimized, which includes the nap, but like, I'm not going to sit anywhere for a couple hours that day. Like that's insane to me. Um, so you don't, so you don't favor, cause it's also got to be so meta to watch a pregame show, the Super Bowl pregame show. While it, yeah, I'm going to be in that game. Let's hear what they're talking about. What are the keys to victory for us tonight? And also just like the last thing I want to think about is that game. Like, because I, as somebody who would just sit there and ruminate and be anxious as hell, want to just get my mind off it. And honestly, half the time you wake up on Sunday morning for a game, whether it's a noon game or the Super Bowl, and you don't know where the hell you are because you got your best night of sleep of the week. Hmm. You know, like there's no kids in the hotel room. You got to bed early. There was no 7 a.m. wake up call for a normal 8 a.m. meeting that you have or 630. If you have treatment, I just slept my ass off and I wake up and I'm like, where am I? You know, like that happened to me, both Super Bowls. And then you're waking up and you're looking in the mirror and you're like, my God, dude, I know I'm brushing my teeth like a normal day. But tonight is the night that I could either be embarrassed forever or be a legend. You know, like I, that, I think that's a that field and you don't know it's I, I completely. Yes. When you're on the on your wedding day, like, you know, you're you pee and you're like, this is the last pee I will take as a single man. Like, I can't imagine like this could be my last pee before I am a world champion for the rest or of number time. Two. I think number two is probably on, the, <laughs> on both of our minds here, but you opted for the number one. I can't imagine even that. Like, what if you were having a bad day in that regard? It's like, yeah, now today's the day I got to play the Super Bowl. Can we push it to tomorrow? Scariest thing in the world, getting ready for a Super Bowl, not losing, not winning. But for me, the prospect of not being at my best, getting a cold, getting the flu. Like, imagine you've waited your whole life for this. I waited my entire career for, you know, through one in 15, two and 14, all that junk. And I'm here. And, you know, like, imagine I roll my ankle in practice on Friday in a walkthrough. Imagine like, so during Super Bowl week Mm -hmm. of practice, I don't care who got mad at me. I was walking around. Like I was jogging when I had to, but I wasn't putting myself at risk. Not for some stupid drill that I've been waiting 34 years to play in this game. And I'm going to be doubtful because I bumped knees with somebody doing like a walkthrough, like not going to happen. Another thing is the second Super Bowl I was in with the, with the Eagles, it was in Minneapolis. Half the team was sick on both sides hmm. and I was sick. I was real sick. And, and for me, the first Super Bowl was really gratifying because we never gotten it before, but I, I left to play a bigger role. And this was like, to me, I wanted to validate my career even more, even more and not be a situational guy like I was in, in New England so much. So this game meant a lot to me. Plus, we're playing my old team and I'm sitting there two nights before, like, you know, when you start to get sick and you're like, am I getting sick? Am I getting sick? Am I getting sick? I'm like, oh, no, I'm getting sick. I feel weak. 
you know, that sort of thing. And that weak kind of achy feeling sure. comes on and I'm like, yeah. I gotta play a game in two days. Scariest thing ever. And half the team is sick. Cause we're staying in the mall of America. It's a germ bubble. Pat's on one end, uh, Eagles on the other. I remember getting dinner at Benny Hanna with some of the guys and then meeting up in like secrecy be behind Sephora with some of my old friends from the Patriots. Like, Hey, can we talk? Like, are we good? Like, are we allowed to be seen here being friends? Like, cause we're playing in three days. The entire dynamic is weird, dude. Oh man. Those are great stories. Yeah. I remember talking to you early in the week, but uh, when you were on the Eagles and saying like, if you sack Tom Brady, having just won a Super Bowl with him, when you sack him, are you like, I'm so sorry, man. I, I really feel bad that I had to do that. Yeah, I mean, not not at all. I would have been really excited <laughs> to sack Tom. And, and one of the plays in my career that, that gets me bummed out the most, even though it was right before we won the Super Bowl, was I was an inch from strip sacking him on the goal line when he completed that ball to, to Dola for like on that fourth and eight. I remember and exactly, like, oh, yes. BG got his strip sack, and we were like, we won the game, yes. And I'm like, okay, now we're playing with house money. If I go get the last strip sack, I can be a hero, even though it really didn't matter as much as BG's. And I remember, like, beating, uh, who was it, on the edge, and I'm thinking to myself, like, it's happening, it's happening, it's happening, and then I just miss him. Actually, I got held, but I want that play back more than anything in my career. Uh, yeah, I there's there was zero worry in my mind. If I had crushed Tom, I would have been happy. I, I don't care if he got up slow. I don't, like, you just want that Super Bowl sack so bad. Call him pretty boy as you push yourself up off of his back. Um, last thing about the do's and don'ts or uh, related stuff. Super Sunday, who gave the better pregame speech, Peterson or uh, Belichick? I don't remember either of them. Really? I have always heard that Belichick doesn't do anything like that, that that's the stuff of movies and Belichick is just like, oh, do your job. And go, let's go I, remember, get it. I remember player speeches, you know, coaches, you're, you're listen, by the time a coach gives you a talk on Saturday night, you want to go to bed, right? Saturday night meetings, whether it's before the Super Bowl or before a game, you know, in my opinion, no matter who's given them are always the dumbest thing in the world. You want me to sit for three hours and shorten my hip flexors. And this is coming up again. It's a recurring theme. You know, mm -hmm. we got to be in optimal position for because I got a bad back. If I sit in a meeting for three hours at 33 years old, I could get back spasms. And the next day my game's in jeopardy. Um, or a lot of times you want to be treating your body. And instead you're watching the DBs meet, like you're sitting in the back row and the coordinator is just talking to the DBs for three hours. And you're like, can we go? You haven't said a single thing to the D line, the entire meeting. And then by 10 o'clock, each coach is given their little speech about tomorrow morning and you just want to go to bed. And so I, you kind of don't hear it. And then you show up to the stadium and it's a, it's a scramble. It always is to get all your pads on, get your treatment done, get your body ready all in sequence. Cause there's some things you can't do before you get treatment. Then you gotta get taped. And then by the time the coach talks, you're like, I'm a pit bull on a leash. Like get me off the leash. I remember player speeches. I remember Brian Brayman, who was mostly a special teams guy before the Super Bowl, giving the most psychotic speech I've ever heard ever. There's things he said in this speech that I cannot repeat and will never repeat uh, without his permission on any podcast or show. I remember those. I don't remember the coaches as well. Oh, we got to get him to recreate that somewhere. That'd be good stuff. Oh, Maybe oh he could do that for the Niners or Chiefs for the right price. He's a fitness influencer now. If you look at Brian Brayman, shout uh, out to Brian. He's on Instagram. But he was this psychotic dude that looked like he was cast out of either uh, a biker movie with long hair 
you know, probably would be covering tattoos or like Game of Thrones, like, you know, one of the two, the mixture. And he would run down on kickoff and try to just end people. And so we gave him the floor and it was no problem because of the way he played. Nobody was going to tell you he was an absolute psycho before games and he knocked it out of the park. All right. I want to do, I want to do two things with you real quick. You've been uh, generous with your time, but I'm also tempted to go down the rabbit hole and spend about uh, seven hours talking about game of Thrones and uh, music <laughs> and movies and everything else with you. But um, let's talk about, you mentioned Eli in the hall of fame and the debate about him and there are different ways to get into the hall of fame. I thought uh, Scott Van Pelt had a great tweet on that earlier this week that there's, there are different ways to skin the cat. If you win six Super Bowls like Tom Brady, you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. Terry Bradshaw, same thing. Has four. There's no argument there. Eli won those two games. Marino doesn't mean he doesn't belong because he never got one. Um, right. th- there are different ways to measure greatness. and um, But the larger issue is for me that we have this, this moving sort of um, morality that is applied to who's worth it and who deserves it when guys five decades ago are already in the hall of fame, but they were there. Some percentage of them were bad dudes in any of these hall of fame guys as, as human beings, as citizens and beyond. I feel like that as we've, I mean, like imagine the premise of you taking your little boy to the baseball hall of fame. Like, let's go see where the, the guy who has the most home runs ever has like, well, he's not, he's not here. Like, well, how about the hit King? Like, yeah, he's not here either. How about the best pitcher of the last half century? Yeah. He's all, well, what are we doing here then? Um, they shoot themselves in the foot. The voters do these halls do by being too pious about it. I say that we leave them all in the 20th century and we start fresh instead of a hall of fame, which when you really break down um, the name fame is what we're after. No, we're after who's the best. I say we do right. one big sports building of the best and we right. start new. Let's let's build it. The first class, you get three guys for the four major sports in uh, in America. Who are the three football guys who go in? Is this post 2000? This is whenever you want, dear. If you want to put if you want to put Don Hudson in, you can. But I think that would be crazy since none of us well, ever I, saw him play. I think we get an offensive skill, a defensive player and a quarterback, right? OK, I mean, that that's one way to look at it. And if I'm starting with uh, offense, my favorite player of all time is Barry Sanders uh, offensively. Wow. So, Barry Sanders. Okay. You know, I, I don't know that. I don't know what the criteria would be. They're, they're great best. players. That's all it is, is who's the best, who should be in because well, of their Sanders greatness. The Barry Sanders is the best running back of all time. No, that's not right. He's not even the best of his era. That was sweetness. You, you, you think it's sweetness and I don't, um, but you know, I, I love sweetness. He's two for me. Uh, you know, Barry for me. And part of it is I might have uh, the bias of asking my dad growing up who the best player he ever played against was. And he'd say Barry Sanders. Is that right? Wow. That's interesting. So, so, so yeah. So for me, that could be part of it. And I kind of trust him, but also, you know, the way he played, there's a subjectivity of how you, you break down a running back, because I'm sure if we put their stats up side by side, I could point to certain things and cherry pick certain things. And you could, on the other end of it. So at the end of the day, it comes down to a playing style. I think Tom's got to be uh, my goat quarterback. That would be you know? it, right? I think he would have yeah. to be in. And and on defense, I know there's a lot of people that would say LT. I get it. Um, but for me, Reggie could do everything LT could do uh, as far as a rusher. Um, and Reggie was 300 pounds. So 
I think Reggie would be my defensive player. I love it. I thought you were going to go silver and black 75, which would have been allowable. I would have uh, signed off oh, on it and not held it against you at all. I, my dad's got a gold jacket. And, and here's the thing about this whole thing. I totally get Drew Pearson. I get him being upset. One, I don't, I don't understand why people are blasting that out afterwards, unless it's to, to create more awareness that he's not in yet. Um, but also you're, you're considered for the hall of fame. There's a lot of guys who would kill to be considered for the hall of fame. And I know this is a hot take to tell people not to be disappointed for something you wait your whole life for, but do you really need the validation of these people? Like, do you, do you really, I, I, you know what, that is kind of an offshoot of, um, I think of what you're getting at, but it, it is. And listen, I'm not being a curmudgeon good for these guys who get gold jackets or whatever hall of fame they, uh, they go into. But I also feel like of all the people not to get up on Mount pies myself, do we need to genuflect to, uh, of all the human beings walking around in our society? Do, do those guys need the extra bit of genuflection that they get from being in the Hall of Fame? It, it's not been enough for them the last three decades of praise and never paying for a meal and all that kind of stuff. Well, I think that's why it might hurt a lot for some of them. I'm not taking a shot. I'm just saying like, and my dad's in the Hall of Fame, but like you're the greatest of the greatest, man. Like, you know, do you really need a look? And I guess if I was that good, I might get it. Um, but it's never, that's never, that's, you know, ever since, uh, you know, you just know if you're going to have a hall of fame career or not, like, you know, when I was in St. Louis, it was hard enough to get to a pro bowl. Like that's not happening in St. Louis. So forget the hall of fame, but maybe for me looking at it from the outside in, um, you know, I, I just think when I get up and see guys making speeches, I'm like, yeah, I can see that some of the guys have been praised a lot for their entire life. I can see that. Um, and I'm not hating. I'm just saying that if I was in that position, maybe I just know that I was one of the baddest men to ever play the game and everybody knows it, no matter if I have that jacket or not. And so what I'm saying is maybe just don't put it up on such a pedestal. Like, man, I don't know if it's the same thing you're saying is, is that, Hey, it'd be great. You deserve that moment. Truly. If we're going to put that marker out there, it should be fair and it should be consistent. But if you don't get in, Golly, man, you've had a pretty good run. Yeah, exactly. And it's it just such dodge. The, the whole vo voting um, it, it's so dodgy and inconsistent that um, are you are you a first ballot? Because the guys who get in on the first ballot consider themselves at a different level than everybody else who gets out. And then that begs the question, are you a Hall of Famer or not? Why did th this guy have to wait 30 years? Was he a Hall of Famer? That weird sprawl of time somehow informs everybody oh yeah now that we think about it he should be in. i mean that that yeah. can say either you come up at five years and you are worthy of the hall of fame or you're not this that weird yeah. log jam well he doesn't get well there are too many quarterbacks in that class so he's got to wait all that kind of math is unnecessary either you are and you and to your point you know it in your gut right i mean don't, don't doesn't anybody who's watched football for any amount of time know Deep down. Yeah, that guy's a Hall of Famer. Or I know Rondé Barber is a Hall of Famer, okay? My Virginia guy. I mean, like, um, a lot of people would, would you know, um, say that that was Warren Sapp, that that defense. And you don't want to put too many guys in from the same defense in the same era and whatnot. But, you know, like, if I'm Rondé Barber and I don't want to speak for him, I think I'm pretty secure. He's not an ego guy. You know, and I can't, you know, I haven't heard him speak on this. But if he doesn't get in, um, you know, for some amount of time here, don't you know that you were just awesome? You were just awesome. Every, like anybody would want to be you. Do you really need that jacket? Do you really need to go? 
And, and it also goes to show how, and we're all like this as football players, me and Lane Johnson talked about this uh, when we were talking about the pro bowl, he, he was snubbed here this year until somebody got hurt and then he got in and like, what does it even mean? Like if you were an alternate, you got in, you didn't get in. Like, what does it matter? It's all ego for all of us. Um, and we talked about that at length, like being an NFL football player and being constantly evaluated, running on praise and also running on criticism, whether it's in the building or from your fans, that get, creates this insecurity. Imagine being that good at something that you have an astronomically low chance of even participating in, which is the NFL, uh, and being one of the greats of all time and caring about the jacket as much. I, I get it. I, I get that. Like I, I wouldn't understand unless I was in that position. But I think it's pretty damn cool to be Drew Pearson, no matter if they let him yeah, in or not. Yeah, but it's a it's a great way you put it there. Yeah, that is the that's what forges the chip on the shoulder of every professional athlete in entire we locker rooms, where it's like no one believes in us. Yeah, people believe in you. What are you talking about? Nobody believes it. You're the New England Patriots. People think you might win this game, but but somehow they're always able to seduce themselves into believing that. Last thing, Chris, yeah. long as we say Super Bowls and all that. Um, yeah. We first connected uh, a few years back over our mutual admiration of great uniforms and disdain for bad ones. And we should focus in on, I think we kind of dodge a bullet in Super Bowl 54 that the Niners aren't the team in the red and the Chiefs in the white because then it would be a red hat, red pants against a red jersey and it would be too much red. This one doesn't look too bad. This one is okay. No, okay. So do we know yet what they're coming out in? Yeah, they're going to wear the gold pants and the gold hat. They're not going to wear the throwbacks. The, the white and, and pants the, Chief, the Chiefs are wearing the red top. Yeah, they're not going to go all white red. Yeah, it would have been so cool to see all red, in my opinion, and then the throwbacks. I mean, I, I, I know you're not a big, as big a fan of the throwbacks. Maybe it's a nostalgia thing for me growing up a Panthers fan, seeing all those NFC West matchups. Mm-hmm. But um, I think it's not as bad as it could have been. It could have been awful. I want to run through and you can critique. And I also don't want to step on your toes because I know that you're going to be doing the same thing on your podcast. That's so, shocker. Well, listen, let me just give you something real quick. The best uniform matchups I've seen, and I'll blow through them, and then you can critique as you wish. Yes, yes. Niners and Broncos, Super Bowl Twenty Four. the road whites of the Niners against the orange jersey with the horse blowing smoke out of his nose. Um, mm-hmm. Elway era Broncos is number 10. Number five, the underrated all-white Colts against the royal blue Cowboys jerseys. Handsome. The first Super Bowl, Packers. I prefer the Chiefs in their red pants, but still a handsome classic look. Seven, I go Rams and Titans. And I am not a modern kind of uniform lover, but the Titans are a little underrated. Those home getups right. that they wear with the Navy jerseys and then right. those uh, those Rams that are considered now throwbacks. Six, I go Cowboys Dolphins when the when the Dolphins wear their wore their gorgeous aqua jerseys against mm-hmm, the uh, mm-hmm. the classic Cowboys the Chiefs and Vikes is at number five that was your Super Bowl four so at, at number four Super Bowl twenty now I like the Bears in the all white that uh, I I can I associate with sweetness but still the Bears that housed the Pat Patriot Patriot Steve Grogan uh, Champagne Tony Eason and the rest that's way up there at number four three I'm gonna go Dolphin Skins Super Bowl seven Dolphins in the all white in the skins with the gold pants two I'm gonna go Packers in the road whites against the best uniform in pro football the silver and black Raiders and at number one Super Bowl 10 because the Steelers wore the gray face masks, not the black ones that they wore in Super Bowl 13 and 30 in rematches against America's team, the Dallas Cowboys. That's your greatest Super Bowl matchup, uniform matchup so, ever. So I, I like I like your list. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna 
argue on the placement of different, yeah. uh, different Super Bowls here. Although I thought there was one that could have gone higher, and that was the Len Dawson cigarette game. Uh, you know, that, that was, came in at number eight for you. And that was some snubbage for me. That was again. Now what matters to me as I go through this is, um, that's a LA Coliseum game and that's a beautiful setting for a super bowl. You got I mean, that right. Me, the, the, the sunshine, the, the arches, the flame. I don't know if they had the flame. I mean, I think they've had the flame forever. I think it right? had that. Yeah, I think so. If you, my whole thing with that, that flame makes any game look cool. And and any uniform matchup look look watchable to me. So I thought that could have been higher. I thought that's why they left- make the movies out here is because of the golden hour light. There's nothing uh, lovelier than whether it's uh, that's what I'll miss most about uh, Raiders games in Oakland is late afternoon as that oh. sun's out there. That's why the light is perfect. Um, and that's why every game looks so good when you see it in the Coliseum or Rose Bowl. Part of why it looks that way is because of the golden hour Southern California light. I agree. And we lost a really good venue with Oakland um, for that, for viewability. I mean, not for the locker rooms and for the luxury suites. I get, I get that. But to be honest, my favorite games used to be getting played at candlestick on those Rams Niners matchups. And yeah, uh, I played in Oakland, uh, the Chargers stadium Qualcomm. I wasn't as into, uh, but you know, the light in Cali, I'm all on that Super Bowl three jets Colts. I thought could have been too much white. Too much white. That's a good, those are good uniforms separately, but when you put them together, all you have is the blue jersey and just a, a wash yeah. of white. Well, I thought we kind of got blued out in Super Bowl five. You mentioned that number nine with uh, the Colts and the Cowboys, I think. A little bit too much blue, but still it's yeah. the all white Colts, and I felt they were yep. worthy of a shout out. Well, you just really you just really like those for Steelers fan. You really love those Cowboys gray pants back in the day. Well, I now the new know. ones are I don't even understand what that color is and what that has to do with the Dallas Cowboys. It's aqua blue. What do you got? And it's yeah. shiny and it just looks wrong. Here's the thing about the shiny pants. They can be really cool. Like when I was in high school, I used to watch Florida State at night and be like, I'm going to Florida State one day, of course. Uh, they, they didn't have any white boy DN. So I was like, uh, you know, maybe, maybe, I, yeah, maybe, maybe I won't look as cool or as fast in, in those shiny pants, but, uh, you know, like, or, or they can be, uh, kind of the St. Louis Rams shiny pants, which were not great. I ended up playing in those. I always wanted to play in shiny pants. And then I ended up in St. Louis playing indoor in that yellow light of the Edward look, Jones. Don't look like a Juco trying to look like Notre Dame. That's what those uniforms yeah. always looked like to me. Exactly. So they can go either way. Now, Super Bowl 13, we had uh, night Steelers Cowboys. I think that, you know, it, it really looked good late in the game. Down in Miami is uh, coincidence what happened. Yeah, that's a nice one. Rams Steelers uh, was a shame because I think the, the Rams and those old uniforms, they got a little over yellowed with that it was just a bad color combo. It, it was a near miss. Uh, so was the Bengals Niners. I actually think the black and orange can be as good as any color combo in sports. Boy, you and I park our cars in the same garage on that. That is the best color scheme available to you. And somehow the Bengals completely screw it up. Look at what Oregon state does. That's how you do it. Right. Look at the giants and the Orioles. They do it. Well, I agree. Love it. But the problem was they got a bad draw with the Niners. Those colors just don't, don't work together. I could have put bills, uh, bills, giants in there because they're classics. Um, and could you imagine the San Antonio home Super Bowl if it had, uh, the Conrad Dobler Cardinals? Oh man, that's again, you are singing my song. <laughs> when people talk about it, the Falcons are going to do some sort of throwback. The Browns are, 
Um, and yeah. the Rams are all, it, it sounds like they're all tracking to not try to modernize. In fact, they're trying to go back to something. Yeah. Let's the, correct it. The Cardinals, oh, those are the most forgotten beauties out there. When it was, it's that dark red. And if you look at it, zero stripes, all it is is the white uniform yeah. number. And that's the only thing on the shirt. And put the little, like the sun, the state flag emblem on there. That was a cool. Uh, oh yeah. The when they got out there. Yeah. So, um, so, I mean, like, I think there's some misses here. I also think last year's Super Bowl could have been an all-timer outdoors. Uh, the Rams uniforms throwbacks and the Patriots white tops are some of my favorites. I don't know why. That's where that's the one that I completely – why you like the Navy pants of uh, Flying Elvis. Those are those are some of the worst uniforms. I like them. But, you know, you look at uh, Super Bowl ten. that reminded me of, like, Madden growing up because I was a 90s kid growing up, and, and there were still two very good – you know, two very good franchises, and they were classics. Super Bowl two with the with the Packers, uh, that was nice to see. I, the socks, the cool old socks. I was there a big fan of that. Um, and then uh, Super Bowl seven. everything looks good in the Coliseum. That was the, the Washington-Miami. Yeah, but weird- the gold pants, yeah. Yeah. But, 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 you know, outdoor, I, you know, beautiful Super Bowl four. You mentioned that it was at five Vikings, all white throwbacks. They were a thing of beauty the, like even into the Chris Dolman era, like into the, you know, John Randall era, just beautiful. Um, yeah, I, I guess Super Bowl 24 Broncos and Niners, uh, you know, imagine that one outside again, that was my biggest gripe there. Oh, uh, yeah. Was that little muck and mire on the uniform? That would have looked nice. Crazy. Other than that, we're pretty much we're pretty much on it, except the Cowboys flat gray pants. I'm not sure about because the thing we talked about, Florida State in the in the late '90s, 2000s, looked pretty cool in the shiny pants. Cowboys, we agree, not as cool now. Yeah, not anymore. And uh, I also did the five worst. The worst is as we talked about the dreary look of uh, one of the greatest Super Bowls ever, 49. Patriots and Seahawks plagued by too much Navy. Number two worst, uh, you won't like this one, Niners in their throwback white pants against those bad Chargers get-ups. Um, did we talk about that? What's that? Yeah, I don't like that How one. Did, how'd you know I, I like that one? Did I tell you I like that one? You told me you like the throwback Niners get-ups, which I, I, the gold hat doesn't match anything on the jersey or pants. I don't like it. But, but I like the San Diego, uh, you know, kind of, I think that's the forgotten uniform. I think they're a victim of their own success at other times with the powder blues and just the beautiful uniforms that they don half the time. I thought the, the that kind of dark Navy with the bolt, it was like such a nice, mm. uh, you know, uh, color juxtaposition for me, like a contrast was beautiful. And no, then that, that no, was, no, no. Really that was, it was very bad. And it was, it was a bad uniform. And I also associated with Stan Humphreys throwing a touchdown pass to Tony Martin in the fourth quarter against the Steelers who were the prohibitive favorite to get to the yeah. Super Bowl, where they would have gotten housed by Steve young. And so maybe they were spared, uh, a shaming on a larger stage. Um, but yeah, I hate the Broncos in their all whites with Elway and Terrell Davis against the all black Falcons. That was a very ugly drab one. Patriots. That should be on everyone's list, Dave. I agree. Patriots Eagles the year, not the one that you played in, but the one a decade prior. That's also bad when Donovan McNabb throws up on the field with the dark green jerseys, dark hats, <laughs> and the Navy pants was no good. And then Bucks Raiders could have been good except that the Bucks wore the red jerseys. If they would have had the white with just the red trim against the black of the Raiders, it would have been a beauty. Instead, it was ugly. Dude, 
if they had gone creamsicle there, yes, it, it would have been electric. It would have been the most electric uniform matchup, and that was an outdoor uh, game. Yeah, uh, I forget where it was. It was in, um, I think that was Tampa. No, not Tampa. That was it's like a home game for them in Florida somewhere. I think you know where I think it was. Was that San Diego? I think, I think that's what it was. So that could have been beautiful uh, near miss. I get the Pats uh, Eagles thing. And I also get the Pats Eagles thing from when I played and you throw that indoor. It's not great either. Um, Super Bowl 33. That should be on everybody's list. I think, uh, I, you know, as we've discussed, I think you're high on Super Bowl 29 and Patriots Seahawks. Could you imagine though, if they went the largents and the reds, like that, the, the white top, an, large another one, the solution to almost every bad uniform that exists right now is to just go back to when I was growing up. And I know people say well, that's because you're nostalgic. No, it just happened to be the era that the best uniforms were going around. I can't help I, it. I noticed that I did notice that your, um, your, uh, top 10, the latest Super Bowl was Super Bowl 24. What was I supposed to do? Wait, 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 the, the, those weird seafoam Seahawks ones against the Steelers in 40. Those are ugly. Those are pe- uh, modern uniforms happen to be worse than uh, their predecessors, but well, you know, they, they, it was a very Detroit, combination i mean the, the fact that you had the super bowl in detroit no offense to anybody in detroit uh and then you had that uniform combination it was just the the, the trifecta did you hear that uh, jerome bettis is from detroit because that came up for uh i, I think seventeen thousand times in the fortnight between the title game and uh, the <laughs> I, super bowl I, did hear about that. I heard about that a little bit yeah um i suspect that we'll also be hearing a lot about joe montana and all that sort of stuff uh over the uh over the next few days here but chris long uh wonderful time i, I feel like we've barely skimmed the surface of uh what we yeah. could give it's about but i know we did more than double what i promised you we would do it's so- all good it's all good man i never care about the length of time as long as the combo is good and it's uniform related we can go for hours man so we'll get on it next time all right next time we run lines from broken arrow but uh yeah i got i gotta go my hip flexors are acting up on me i gotta you you gotta stand up dude you got your performance guy man all right dave appreciate it hey i thank uh, you for the time chris long the great chris long again make sure you check out his new podcast it's great he's blowing up um in the sports media and beyond and uh, we appreciate his time um thanks pally thanks brother you go into your shower feeling tired but as soon as you reach for the irish spring your day immediately gets better that crisp fresh unmistakable irish spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses so when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. 
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. 